Welcome to the 45th episode of the Hail Mary podcast. I'm Atoves, and I'm joined by my husband, the Toves. We're back to give our hot takes on our beatdown of La Tech and throw some Hail Mary shots downfield for our listeners to love or hate. Let's get started. This was the game we've all been waiting for all season long. A dominant performance by all three phases of the triangle. The Roadrunners came out strong in the first quarter and quickly built a 21-0 lead and never looked back. UTSA would add three more touchdowns and three field goals, scoring on all but one offensive drive. The defense created five turnovers, three interceptions, and two fumbles. They held Louisiana Tech to just 259 yards of offense and one touchdown. The Roadrunners improved to 8-2 and overall and 6-0 and in conference. What were your thoughts on the game? You know, when we went through this pod last week, in, in terms of our preview, I just didn't believe that this La Tech team would present much of a challenge. They really didn't. I mean... You know, unfortunately, the talent and depth is just lacking. It's weird, too, because, like, we've seen the previous Law Tech teams, and they've had some semblance of talent at positions. Mm-hmm. Even They might not have all the depth, but they at least had some, like, game breakers, you know, had some guys that could make some plays. It just, it's just lacking. Yeah. And, you know, in, in other games, I don't feel like it was as evident, but this UTSA team is just different. Like, it's just a strong team, and... You know, as much as you were kind of talking about this is the most complete game, well, I think it was great for you because we didn't get a high heart alert. Oh, I know. I mean, at the second that we scored that second touchdown, I thought, okay, I'm going to be able to breathe during this game. <laughs> you know, I mean, we've seen competition similar to Louisiana Tech, and UTSA has made the game hard on themselves. But this time, I feel like instead of playing down to the level of the team, you know, we played our level of football, you know, we played well. We had a couple of mistakes. I mean, at one point, we kind of tried to gift Louisiana Tech a couple of scores. I mean, we had the roughing the punter penalty that gave them the first down. Um, We had the interception where we fumbled and gave them the ball back, but they really couldn't capitalize on that. A lot of it was just that just really that talent. I mean, that's part of the problem. You know, we had started the... um, uh, preview by saying that, look, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be Parker McNeil, and he's not a very good quarterback. Well, then we get the surprise when Landry Liddy, the backup quarterback, goes out there. And the thing is, you know, I hadn't thought about, like, maybe doing a preview on Landry Liddy. Yeah, I mean, Parker had gotten hurt, apparently, at the game last week, but he came back in. So I think that's why it was kind of a surprise that he was out this game, because the injury didn't seem to be that serious. I mean, he was able to come back against Middle Tennessee and play. And he was suited up for this game. Yeah. So, I mean, even if you're going to hold him out, I mean, it's a... The only thing I can think of is that possibly they just suited him up just so to throw off UTSA and try to get as much of an advantage as possible. But, mm-hmm. you know, even with Landry Liddy, I mean, here, here's the thing. He is serviceable. I mean, he's, he's fine. It, it's not like... But I don't think it's going to be like a well, you know, he's going to turn into a Mason Fine or like a Frank Harris, right? right. Like, it's not going to ha- I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe I'll be wrong. I mean, maybe we'll yeah. be talking in a couple of years. We're still doing this. We'll be like, oh, look at that. I was totally wrong on La Tech. You know, they're coming out of the Conference USA and they're led by this guy named Landry Liddy. But the thing was is that, you know, as a freshman, he missed a lot of reads. You know, he had a lot of throws that were just off. And, and that's just too much to overcome. And, but I just don't feel like that was all on him. I mean, I think there was just a lot of things that were going on in terms of, you know, Smoke Harris is a, yeah, I've given him a hard time. He's just sort of a temperamental little dude. Um, and, you know, 
he doesn't have a quarterback that can get him the ball, so that presents a problem. You know, UTSA had him all um, wrapped up in coverage, and Trey Harris, I said, was going to be the biggest guy to watch out for and in terms of the receiving core. Turns out all you got to do is just get Corey Mayfield on him and <laughs> no more threat, and now someone else has to step up. And they just had a lot of guys that had problems stepping up, and, you know, again, it's just not a very talented team, so... Yeah, it was great for us to be able to put in a lot of our younger guys towards the end of the game and kind of get to see sort of, you know, get them some playing time and get to see what the future of UTSA looks like. Um, you know, we got to see Rodriguez schedule, um, score a touchdown, Malik Jones, although I know he's played, you know, throughout the season, but, you know, get an interception, just not a name that you normally hear called out quite a bit. And, you know, of course, Kavorian Barnes, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it was, I think Trey Moore, and I'll paraphrase what he was saying, but, you know, he was asked a question about, you know, how does it feel to actually be able to get some rest during the game? And he said, look, they all work hard. And this was a really good chance to see a bunch of other guys flying around. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, that's exactly what was happening. I mean, you know, we've kind of already talked about this lack of talent on LaTeX's side, but the disparity at times was just seemed incredible. The announcers, when we did the rewatch, even kind of said as much. They're like, it's just weird. It just seems like mathematically it shouldn't be possible that there's always like three runner defenders around mm-hmm. a single LaTeX offensive player. But he was right. Like, you watched it and you're like, our guys are just swarming. And, you know, Coach Trailer kind of mentioned something about this post game where he's like, you know, we were still kind of mad about how last week ended. And mm-hmm. because of it, you know, we really wanted to come out and, and really just prove that we're better than than what we showed. You know, some of it is the fact that they were on the road. So, you know, things can happen. You're not at home, even though we talked about that there really wasn't anybody at the at UAB Stadium. But still, it was it was good to see them still have some sort of chip and something to continue moving forward. You know, I've t- long right. talked about the fact that, you know, some teams are like, you know, have peaks and valleys just from week to week. This U- UTSA team continues to me to do this slow burn where they're just like, they kind of hit that low in the valley at, at UT, and then all of a sudden they're slowly kind of building up, and we're seeing it throughout like um, the entire team in mm-hmm. a lot of different positions. So you're right. I mean, it was fun to see all these players, but I think it's just a lot of guys also getting healthy and getting a chance to fly around too. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I think makes this team different is just watching how excited they get when you have the twos and the threes come in and they have a big play and they get to score and just seeing how genuinely exciting excited they are for those kids. Like when Justin Rodriguez scored the touchdown, the team like pretty much emptied off of the sidelines to go surround him. And then at one point oh, on the sideline, they're picking him up. Like I, I thought there was going to be a penalty, by the way. I thought yeah. that, like, I was like, everybody's coming on the field to congratulate him, which is great, but we're going to get a penalty here. And I think Trailer probably thought the same, but he's like, oh, whatever. Like, you know, right. it's the end of the game. Who cares? You get the penalty, right? But no, I mean, there wasn't a flag thrown. Um, I mean, yeah. There was a lot of celebration, too, throughout the game on right. some of those turnovers. You know, the defenders would go to the like to the end zones and, like, start celebrating. You see that in the NFL. You don't see that in college. So I was right. like, is there going to be another, you know, another flag? But you're right. Sure. I mean, it's, it is special, right? Like, it's – I think they're just genuine for each other. You even see the twos and threes at times – as the guys, come, the first stringers are coming off, you see that celebration. But there's right. something truly special, like you said, when it, 
when a guy like Justin Rodriguez is, scores that touchdown. All right. So with that, a little bit of gushing about some of these guys. Let's do a little bit more by just starting with the special teams. Look, you know, outside of that long kickoff that they allowed to Smoke Harris, um, I, I just felt like we were great, specifically in the punt game where right. we did a very good job in terms of getting to the punter. You talked about the roughing the kicker. I don't believe that Trailer was going to be too mad about it because, you know, honestly, you've got to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, here you are having a chance to... Um, I forgot how they put it on the Texas Texas football. Republic <laughs> um, football yeah, podcast. Where there was like, hey, here's your chance to get an opponent, put his face in the mud, and just keep rubbing him in. Rubbing him in the dirt, yeah. But it's also good to see these guys, again, fly around some and actually get there. After seeing Avery Morris like completely whiff mm-hmm. uh, against North Texas, here's your chance to like really put one away. And they, they almost did, so... Good to see it. Also good to see... I mean, Chris Carpenter didn't really get a chance to get any returns. I mean, he had two opportunities. You know, one after at the beginning of the second half, and then he had another opportunity after LaTeX scored their only touchdown. That's it. Like, he really couldn't make an impact there. But, you know, otherwise, I don't know that there's a lot to nitpick, unless you want to do that and just nitpick and say, sure. this was... You know, they could have been much cleaner there. But I think that's... Again, one of the things that they'll probably take till next week and go, we shouldn't have allowed this long return. Yeah, I mean, I think it looks pretty good for Jared Sackett to potentially re- repeat as a Conference USA Special Teams Player of the Week. I mean, I took a look at some of the other games, and unless they're going to give it to a punter, I mean, no one else had three field goals. So, potential opportunity for him to uh, look like a superstar in Conference USA again. Well, by the time anybody listens to this, they'll have already announced it, but yeah. we can say on Sunday night, Atos said this I mean, is going to happen. I'm going to predict it. We'll see <laughs> if it happens or not. All right. Any other thoughts in terms of the special teams? No, nah, I don't think so. All right. So let's go on to the offensive review. And this one just, again, kind of sort of a ho-hum type of thing. Um, again, still really appreciate it, but, you know, I said, look, they need to impose themselves on LaTeX defense and... You know, I just didn't feel like any LaTeX defender could really hang with Frank and company. And I think to an extent that was the case. You know, again, LaTeX is dependent on the fact that their playmakers on defense can make those plays. But the disparity in strength and in speed was just evident pretty early on. Our offensive line was essentially like five yards down the field blocking their opponent. They were moving the guy five yards down the field. It's almost reminiscent of, you know, the blind side when, mm-hmm. you know, Michael finally, like, decides I'm going to have my coaches back and, like, takes that guy all the way through the end zone and dumps him over the wall. I, you know, that was that's a fun little thing to see, but it really was, you know, kind of reminiscent of that where they're just pushing these defenders back. Yeah, I mean, I think the storyline for this game and certainly for the second half of the season when it comes to our offense is just the fact that, our offensive line is consistent. I hesitate to use the word healthy because it's not exactly healthy, but we've healthy had... Healthy in quotation marks is probably the right. best way. We've had a consistent offensive line now, two games in a row, and you've seen Kavorian Barnes really blossom as a running back. And part of the reason that he's been able to blossom is because they've had a consistent offensive line, and part of it is just... You know, the way that he runs, his speed, you know, he's like 
I think they described him as like being like a Mack truck, you know, the way he kind of lowers his shoulders and sort of <laughs> smacks through guys. Well, we always joke with our, our friend Big Brown that it's like he just see, find, finds the opponent and he wants to go hit the opponent. Yeah. And we saw that consistently. And even on his long touchdown one when he got his first touch of the game, I told you, oh, look, he's going to take this and he's going to go straight to the LaTeX sideline. He's going to go hit like a guy off, you know, sitting on the sideline. And then he kind of started angling to the LaTeX sideline. <laughs> I know you probably were like not thinking that he would, but still, I know you were probably thinking, uh, maybe Toes is right. Maybe he I... is going to go hit somebody there. Right. But I had kind of said this, um, you know, kind of in jest in terms of, you know, going to hit an opponent. And actually someone we know, uh, Don, pointed out that he actually runs behind his pads. And what that means, if you don't know, is that he actually runs low so he can get leverage. And then he falls forward because of it. And, I mean, you see it pretty clearly. That's why he's hitting guys because he's got the leverage. Bounce off of them. Yeah. I mean, again, speed, power. Like, I don't know, but this he could be the most complete back we've seen at UTSA to this point in its history. And that's to include Sincere. And that's nothing against Sincere or any other previous running back. But it's impressive to see this guy really come on the field and make the most of his time. Yeah. And the other thing about him, if you're – Going back and watching some of the games, when Kavorian does not get the ball, he will have the most amazing blocks, and he'll just, like, annihilate guys that he's trying to, like, if he's <laughs> blocking for, you know, a wide receiver or something, like, you can just see kind of in the back, you know, in the background, you'll see Kavorian just, like, nail someone. So, apparently, he really does like to throw guys around. He's physical, and, you know... Absolutely. You know, I think Brandon Brady is, like, getting a little too old to be, like, going and just going to hit someone. Not that... He's probably had enough injuries that he's like, look, I've got to save myself here a little bit. Well, that's where I was going to go with it. Like, I didn't really want to say that he's not physical at all. But, yeah, I mean, Kavori clearly is, like, a heat-seeking missile. He's like, the heat is the opponent, and I'm going to go hit him. (laughs) And, you know, you're going to suffer all the, the pain from it. Going back to your offensive line comment, you know... I, obviously, there's a lot of guys that are starting to get healthy, and we've seen so many guys throughout the year on the offensive line that I also think, you know, as as you said, kind of like they're getting more time with each other. Honestly, I get that. However, I also get the fact that these guys have also been playing together for, since, you know, probably the early summer, and they've probably been interchanging who's in at what position. Mm-hmm. I just want to call out uh, Maka, just because of the fact that I said before the season that I... I thought one of the areas he had to work on was his snaps. You know, looking back, I think a lot of it was the fact that I don't think he was completely healthy at all last season. He mm-hmm. got injured early against Illinois, and I think he was compensating because you could see some of those snaps just go wayward at times. And it was weird because, you know, you knew the consistency of Maka. And mm-hmm. so it was odd to see all of this happening. This season, he has been the rock. I mean, he is the one that has kept that line together, right. regardless who's been in there. So, you know, I just really wanted to again, take a couple minutes to just, again, appreciation for this guy because, you know, honestly, he's a scholar. He's done some, honestly, really great things off the field, talked to, you know, done some community service. And the fact that he consistently performs well on the field as well and has kept this offensive line together along with, you know, his captain, Frank Harris, just a moment to just be able to just be grateful for the fact that we've had some consistency somewhere. Yeah. Um, one of the questions we had going into this game was, with JT being out, you know, what was the offensive look going to be? Would they stay in 
um, 11 personnel? Would they play more 12 personnel? Looked like they started the game with 12 personnel. They had Dan Dishman in. They did kind of do a little bit of both, 11 personnel, a little 12 personnel. But, um, you know, we did get to see a really spectacular um, catch by Gavin Sharp. 47-yard pass, his longest career – or. 47-yard reception, his longest career reception. So, you know, again, good to see somebody who hasn't really gotten a lot of playing time come in and make a big play. I've said it before. Like, Frank at times has an embarrassment of riches. Like, who does he throw to you? Because he's got just a bunch of weapons. And the fact that you've got a Gavin Sharp who, to me, would probably start on this Law Tech team is actually like a third stringer on our team. Yeah. It, it's, it says a lot. That said, you're right. Like, I think because, again, of all the weapons, that gives this offense so much more flexibility in terms of being able to start in 12 personnel, start in 11 personnel, whatever. They're still going to run or pass. It doesn't matter. They're still going to take it down the field on any defense. So just honestly, just a lot of fun to watch. Um, one record to note, um, Zachary Franklin has now caught caught a pass in 42 straight games. It's the longest active streak in the FBS. Um, and he was also the first roadrunner to reach 3,000 career receiving yards. You Even though the, he had a quiet game. I was going to go with that. I was going to say that you had told me off, you know, away from the podcast. I was like, hey, he just had a really quiet game. Hey, you know who else did was Frank Harris. Mm-hmm. Frank was pretty quiet. I mean, it's pretty easy, a pretty easy day when you can just hand off to your running backs and they'll just like break off long runs. Makes it a whole lot easier for a quarterback. Both those guys had quiet days, but they also got a nice rest. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I wanted to bring this up real quick. Was I almost felt like they had left Frank out there a little too long because he had that stretch there in the third quarter where he had that sort of long run where Kavorian knocked, you know, knocked a lot. Heck, I think it was a defensive back. Yeah, you know, knocked him silly. The guy like kind of took a little twirl after he got hit by Kavorian. And Frank busts off a long run, but he gets caught up from behind. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, man. Like, that's how you get, like, a sprained ankle. And then he does another carry, like, right after that. And then Trailer immediately pulls him. I get that Frank's a competitor, you know. But at this point, there's probably nothing more devastating for the rest of our season unless Frank gets hurt. And sure. so, you know, I think I was holding my breath there and thinking, well, we got to be seeing Eddie Lee, right? Or Cam or, you know, somebody. Somebody, anybody. Bring somebody in. I don't care if it's Brendan Brady. Bring him in for quarterback. But let's get Frank off the field. And then let's. Because he, it seemed like in the very first offensive play that they had, he did get smacked. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to see the replay, you know, but it looked like, you know, he took a hit because he was very slow getting up. And so I was concerned, like, you know, here's a lot tech team that might just go and try to take a smack at our quarterback. And, sure. You know, let, let's not. Let's not leave it to chance. Let's just bring Eddie Lee and let's just close this game out. Yeah, and, and actually I thought Eddie Lee played, you know, pretty well. I mean, he really didn't, you know, have there were a couple of passes that, you know, again, I think if there were different receivers in there, maybe the results would have been different. But it was nice to see his little scramble there, because that's not something we've really seen from Eddie Lee. You know, when we think of him, we think more of a pocket passer than the scrambler. So it was kind of interesting to see him you know, really kind of run around in a circle at one point. I mean, it was almost like a little Dalton Sturmish as he was running around in a circle to get out of there. <laughs> well, I think it was, I mean, he did run around some in, in high school, but I think it was just his agility at mm-hmm. times and the way he was able to cut, make some sharp cuts that really surprised me. But then again, like I said, 
just the strength and speed of UTSA just overall really popped when LaTeX defense was out there. So let's go on to the offense player of the game. For me, it's pretty easy. He didn't have many carries, but obviously he was pretty spectacular. It's Kevorian Barnes. You know, 103 yards, two touchdowns on 11 carries. Again, not much action, but when you once sc- again, he's just, anytime he touches the ball, it just seems like something big's going to happen. And, you know, if you're going to have that kind of impact, it's going to be pretty easy to, like, have a pretty light game, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, the fact that he scored two touchdowns on his first two carries was pretty impressive. What's even worse is the fact that, like, as he started, he kept carrying the ball, his, you know, yards per gain were, like, going down. And I was like, well, I mean, obviously you can't just go 40 yards every single time. Right. But, <laughs> I mean, the fact that it, every single time it's, like, going down, it's, like, it's going to look worse than it is. But, yeah, he could have busted a whole lot more. Let's go to the defense. Um, honestly, very good defensive display. I had talked about in terms of the, you know, some keys were to pressure Parker McNeil. Well, McNeil didn't play. They still were able to pressure Landry Liddy, though. Mm-hmm. And they forced some throws from him. Obviously, you know, three interceptions. Uh, not exactly something he, you know, he was probably planning on. But, you know, I thought that they not only covered these um, these LaTeX wide receivers, which, you know, another key was limit the yak of wide receivers, specifically Trey Harris. They just were not able to get any breathing room from this UTSA defense. It really was swarming. And I think I'm going to say that I think Trailer just gave them a hard time about how they closed out last game, sure. you know, as we previously talked about. And I think he really kind of needled them about things over and over to the point that I think they came in wanting to really shut down this LaTeX defense. And it really showed because yeah. there was some hard hitting. There was, you know, as I mentioned before, a lot of kind of swarming to the ball. LaTeX really just didn't, I mean, <laughs> they just did not have much of a breath to take once they got the ball. It felt like UTSA was on them right away. Right. I mean, they held, like I said before, they held Louisiana Tech to um, only 259 yards of offense, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, considering that this team has, you know, had some problems. Had some problems. I mean, what I mean is UTSA having some problems stopping. I mean, they gave up over 500 yards of offense to UAB, a limited UAB offense that, you know, obviously they should have shut down more. But, you know, I... I was just impressed. Again, you know, we've talked about the fact that look against Texas Southern, they give up 400 some odd yards, which was incredible. The fact that they had allowed that to an FCS team. We were we had some trepidation in this game because we thought, well, I mean, La Tech still is running the air raid; they could do some things. But you know, I think UTSA again, they continue to build on every single game, and they're just getting better and better. And let's talk real quick about Trey Moore. What a budding star. I mean, yeah. all I could see is, again, him getting to the getting in the backfield. Most importantly, it was that uh, when they were having another, it looked like a red zone trip, Trey Moore went and basically almost took the ball away from Landry Liddy. Liddy had no idea that, that Trey Moore was coming. Right. And all of a sudden, you just see Trey Moore. It looked like he was getting the handoff from, right. from Liddy. So um, he, able to, he was able to force the fumble. We recovered. Uh, again, just a dominant performance. The defensive line, again, dominant. You know, really took care of that offensive line. It, um, again, close to complete. I mean, obviously they want to have that touchdown that they allowed back because uh wasn't the best of showing there. But, again, that's a nitpick because sure. these guys really, I thought, played a, just a great swarming defense all game. 
Alright, with that, let's go to our defensive player of the game. I've already talked about him. Trey Moore. Five tackles, three solo, one sack, one and a half tackles for loss, a forced fumble and recovery. There's probably other guys that they probably could have highlighted. Corey Mayfield, who essentially, like I said, shut down Trey Harris. Um, Clifford Chapman had another heck of a game at safety. You know, talk about any of the defensive linemen. But Trey Moore, to me, again, is a budding star. And he's close to get, putting up almost the same stats as, as Clarence Hicks. And it doesn't feel as dominant as Clarence Hicks did last season. But I think maybe it's because we've romanticized what Clarence Hicks did last season. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing it from a younger, even better player that I think, you know, it's just, it's just cool to see how he's going to develop in the next few years. So before we talk about what we learned from the game, let's talk about what we learned before the game. Uh, we learned that Trayvon Bradley is no longer with the team. It's, on one hand, interesting. On the other hand, it's like, I mean, he just... I don't think that he'd necessarily fit with UTSA. Um, I think there was some problems at times, you know, when he was on the field. Like, he just... You've got to be pretty good to get on the field here at UTSA. Um, and that's something that we probably wouldn't have thought to say 10 years ago. Right. <laughs> or at least hoped that we would be saying 10 years ago. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, he, I think he had opportunities. He just never dif- differentiated himself from anything. Yeah, I was going to say, he had more snaps over the last two years in my estimation, um, than Taiki did. But it feels like Taiki has done a better job of taking advantage of those opportunities when given on the field, where Trayvon, I mean, I know there were a couple of times where I was like, every time we throw to him, I feel like he drops it. And that's not necessarily the truth, but it just, it just didn't feel like he was consistent. That's fair. I mean, you know, I think that that kind of led to it is whether, you know, he's concentrating during the entire game. I mean, that's one thing that Trailer has talked about Taiki is, you know, is he actually, you know, can he put together four quarters of actually paying attention? And, you know, you see that kind of yo-yo at times with Taiki where he's not in. And, you know, again, when you've got three stud receivers, it's hard to, you know, kind of talk about it last week where it's like, well, duh, you have to play him. But the other hand, you're like, is it impeding any of these other players? Right. Real quick, we did have a Ty Edwards sighting, which I was know. weird because... You know, we thought that he wasn't going to be with the team any longer because he kept saying free me. And then you had noticed that he was on the scout team for right. like before one of the, you know, after one of the games. And so we were, the two of us away from the microphone are like scratching our heads going, what's going on with Ty Edwards? And then we see him play. I know. So, you know, apparently he's still there. Hopefully, you know, he takes advantage of his opportunities. Although it wouldn't be surprising, I think, to anybody if we found out at the end of the season that he transfers. That's a good point. Though I think he might be a nice sort of Billy <laughs> addition that he wants to be. Yeah. He wants to take that role of, you know, what I mean is, if nobody remembers, it's BJ Daniels. Mm-hmm. They're both similar. You said he's similar in the way he runs, and, you know, but who knows if it's similar in the way he's selfless like BJ Daniels was. Right. So to your point, if he transfers, he transfers. Good luck to him. Otherwise, it wouldn't be necessarily bad to have him back there just as a veteran presence and especially a big guy that could maybe get us a couple of those tough yards, short yards, if we ever need them. Yeah, and one of the things we learned after the game, I'll go back to during the game, but after the game, just to kind of piggyback on top of that is, you know, Trailer and his nicknames. I mean, 
<laughs> in his post game, he's talking about V Dog and how instead of calling the tight ends the tight ends, he calls them the tight friends because they're helping out the O line. And, and he goes on to this whole thing about when they ask him about Tyke's performance, about how he, he sweats so much, he's a sweater, and he needed an IV before the game because he sweats so much. And, you know, maybe he dropped the ball because his hands were slippery because he sweats so much. It was just, trailer's just a. He's goofy. He's a goofball. That's what he is. He's a big goofball. And, you know, that might not work with some schools, but clearly the student athletes here have embraced trailer. They enjoy it. And so, you know, it's just, it's always fascinating to hear what's going to come out of his mouth at these post games sometimes. You know, you're right. I mean, if this team isn't winning, this, this whole thing doesn't work. Right. But because of what he's instilled and how he's developing these guys and you know, just the way he's coaching, it's hard not to like what, you know, him giving these goofy nicknames. And I'm sure that they probably roll their eyes or whatever, but if you've got the head coach talking about you, a lot better than him not talking about you at all and not exactly. bringing you up and giving you attention because that means that you're not seeing the field, so. That is very true. Um, so one of the things that we did see during the game and that we've been hoping to see all game, we've talked about it before, but that we are actually capable of imposing our will on a team. Like you mentioned earlier, just kind of, as they said in the Re Republic of Football podcast, like take your, your uh, opponent's face and kind of rub it in the dirt a little bit and show them who's the tough guy. I mean, it was. It, it, uh, it was good to see this team really put together a really good effort. Right. I think that there was a lot of excitement, especially... You know, when the when there was a kickoff. But I think as the game went on, I think the only drawback to the fact that they dominated La Tech so much was they just got a little boring. Right. Um, they were still making a lot of great plays, but... Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to stay engaged when you're up, like, you know, 44 and you're wondering if you're going to get to that 51 at the very end versus, you know, those high heart alert games. But you know what? We all needed to take a little breather. So I was, I was happy to... Uh, See that kind of game. Didn't have to go and like threaten to send, you know, health receipts over to you to say athletics yeah, anymore. Absolutely. So, you know, cool. But one of the, the risk of, you know, having a really high scoring game, like you mentioned, is that people leave early. And so when they unveiled our big fourth quarter new tradition of the let's go 2 and 0 flag, there weren't as many students in the student section, although still more than we would have seen, you know, a couple of years ago. In the best of times, a couple of years. Yeah, ago. exactly. They they still didn't have to like you know bring people from other sections over <laughs> yeah. to help us. Or the band, essentially. Yeah. The band was usually the one that was doing it. But no, I mean, I I still, in my opinion, I, I don't know why we need to flag. <laughs> we have this obsession with flags. I get it. There were six flags over Texas, and you know we feel like we need to add a seventh one for for UTSA. But you know, for me, it's like cool. I still think there should have been something around triangle of toughness. I know that that's more of a trailer thing, but I think that that's something that we've had different traditions that have come and gone. So the triangle of, Trump, the triangle of toughness sort of celebration, which was what the what the players do, I feel like there's like there's an opportunity to use that for a few years and you know get some use out of it before you try to do another fourth quarter tradition. But the most important thing that we learned from this game is that we continue to control our own destiny in Conference USA. While we haven't technically clinched um, a spot in the finals, we have clinched at least a spot in the finals. 
um, with this win. And there would really have to be a series of unfortunate events for us to not host the conference championship game. It would be bizarre, yeah. I mean, but, you know, the advantage of the way our schedule was set up was the fact that you could actually have an easier sort of finish to the season, so to speak. Um, You know, these next two opponents, Rice and and UTEP, they finish your Texas triangle, which you wanted to have completed for the longest time. I know. we got to win both of these guys. Got to win them both. It's hard to see them losing those two games because, you know, as opposed to last season where, you know, they lost to North Texas, that North Texas team was at least much more talented than what these next two teams pose for UTSA. So, you know, I think it's going to be a lot of just continuing to find the nitpicks and have them, you know, kind of play with the chip on their shoulder, kind of like mm-hmm. they did against La Tech. You know, you do that, you get the opportunity to get a little bit of rest. And, you know, some people have talked about the fact that maybe that leads to not having that edge going into the championship game. I think you already had plenty of games <laughs> where you had that edge. Right. And, you know, you had to play all these one-possession games. I don't think if they go into the championship game and it's a one-possession game that they're going to, like, think, oh, no, I wish against Rice or against UTEP or against La Tech, you know, we would have been in these this really tight game. Otherwise, we have no idea what to do. They know what to do. Yeah, and I think given the fact that we've had so many health struggles at the beginning of the season and so much adversity in these wins at the beginning of the season that unlike last year, not that we didn't have adversity last year, but I feel like the momentum is building with this team rather than, than last year we were trying to hold on to the momentum. And this year I feel like it's, it's kind of like a build to the end. Right. I mean, you know, I talked about the whole peak and Valley. It feels like we're going towards the peak as opposed to like, like you said, last year, I think we hit a peak and then we just started kind of falling off. I think we hit the peak against UAB and it's just after that, it was just, yeah. we tried to stay up top, but you know, we really lost focus near the end of that season, uh, last season. Yep. And it looks like North Texas, even though they lost, and we'll talk about that um, in the before we go section, they're still in second place with two losses. They're tied with Western Kentucky and FAU and they hold tiebreakers over both. So they still own their um, their destiny. So we are continuing to be on this collision course with North Texas, although where if we lost next week to Rice, it wouldn't kick us out of first place. If North Texas loses to Rice and Western Kentucky and FAU went out, they could play spoiler. So we want to beat Rice, and then we want Rice to be so frustrated because they're one win away from bowl eligibility that they just take it to North Texas and didn't. All right, let's get to our rice preview. Do you want to actually preview the weather first? Yeah, unfortunately, the weather right now is going to be cold, should be in the upper 40s, and rain is expected all throughout the game. Uh, If you're traveling there to watch the game, bring a coat, bring a poncho. That's what we'll, we will be doing since we are hoping to go to the game and hoping that the rain perhaps will hold off until at the end. Yeah, I mean, look, um, I'm sure you can think it's shades of North Texas next year but or last season. Yep. I think it's probably going to be a little bit, well, it's going to be better than it was against North Texas. Um, we just happened to catch, you know, a certain front at the time that North uh, the North Texas came, uh, came around. So, you know, for this one, I just don't see, like, the, that that's necessarily going to be the case. 
And I'm trying to say that in terms of speed into existence because I don't want to be sitting in the rain right. or standing in the rain, um, especially this cold. Let's talk about Rice, though. Rice is 5-5 five and five overall. They're 3-3 three and three in CUSA. Um, overall, UTSA leads the series 6-3. Kind of weird because Rice won the first three games of the series, and now UTSA has won six in a row. It's been sort of a back-and-forth series in terms of how these teams at times have been competitive. There have been some competitive games at times. There have been some games that haven't been competitive. Last year's game was not competitive. (laughs) Um, 2019 was. Last year's wasn't. Um, We skipped 2020 because uh, UTSA was uh, dealing with COVID issues and some other injury issues on the offensive line. Because of it, it got canceled. I think there was one time in college football history where forfeiting is okay. I know it didn't end up forfeiting, but it felt like it was a forfeit sure. because of the fact that, you know, there really wasn't any other reason not to be able to play this game. Let's get to talking about head coach Mike Bloomgren for Rice. Uh, look, he's under fire and could be gone by the end of the season. You know, I talked about him being possibly gone before this point uh, in the preseason, when I t- we talked about it in the preseason, um, because I just don't really know what these expectations are for Rice overall. I mean, look, he's got him close to bowl eligibility whether he gets it there or not you know he's got got to win either against utsa north texas or beat both um to really solidify a bowl uh i just don't see that that's necessarily going to happen i mean crazier things have happened but i think in terms of you know you think about rice you know i always think about how they beat up on uab um because uab just seems to kind of let their guard down and just doesn't seem to play well against rice Mm -hmm. that said i just don't feel that way about UTSA uh, playing Rice. For whatever reason, and I think it's maybe because of the fact that we built up a six-game winning streak, you know, I just kind of see Rice as a W because they just don't have the talent and depth that, you know, a a UTEP or even a North Texas could bring to a game and really give UTSA more of a challenge. Let's talk about their offense. Tenth in total offense in CUSA out of 11 teams. (laughs) 359.2 359.2 yards per game. They're seventh in scoring in conference games uh, at 25.7 points per game. They're fourth in red zone offense. So once they get into the red zone, there's a good chance that they put that, you know, put a score up. The thing is here is that remember, this puts up like, you know, touchdowns and field goals. So they just don't score that many touchdowns, <laughs> unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, UTSA, in comparison, is number two offensively in UTSA uh, in the red zone. So, you know, you kind of get to see, you know, the disparity, the disparities between the two. Now, let's just remember that with UTSA, though, they don't always get in the red zone. There's a lot of – they have been ripping off a few long runs, a few long passes. So, you know – there are some scores that they just don't ever get to the red zone. That's just not the case with Rice. Rice's offense is not built for something like that. I give you, you know, essentially uh, example number one, TJ McMahon. Um, he's actually really beloved by PFF. Uh, he's got a 75.4 grade. However, he's just, I would say, an okay quarterback. You know, he completes about 60% of his passes. Um, you know, I've talked about how that just isn't great. But it's not because he lacks necessarily accuracy. It's because at times he presses and he's trying to make a play. Um, And really, that's what's kind of helped Rice have success. You know, he has scrambled around some. um, But the thing is, and really the only thing you really need to know about TJ McMahon is that he's streaky and he's turnover prone. 
keys right there for UTSA to kind of uh, harp on. He does do well in terms of uh, passing, uh, in terms of mid-range passes, and I mean like 10 to 19 yards. Um, but I think with the weather, depending on how it goes, you know, that might not be the case or a good situation for him to be in. And I just think that elsewhere, you know, in terms of short passing and even sort of long, deep passes, he'll hit on some of those, but very low percentages, and he's just not as good as he is, like when it's 10 to 19 yards where he's um, looking at. Now, this Rice offense gets caught into, like, essentially third and longs and a lot of second and longs um, because they are mistake-prone. So eh, I think there's a reason why he succeeds at those type of passes. Yeah, he um, actually, interesting stat about him, he is leading FBS in interceptions thrown at 14 interceptions this year. This year. Not the stat that you want to be leading the FBS in. And like I said, you know, there's a lot of times where he's really pressing and, you know, he's had led this Rice offense to essentially 16 turnovers in the six conference games. That's a tough stat to really kind of chew on. Let's go on to the running backs. Uh, Juma Ottaviano is uh, right now their lead back. Nice runner. He's only five games, put up about 274 yards, one touchdown. The other running back uh, that has played every single game so far is Cam Montgomery. Again, nice kind of physical runner, much like Juma. 452 yards. He has no touchdowns, though. The one missing one is Ari Broussard. Uh, he's a, essentially a short yardage back. He's run for 251 yards, but nine touchdowns. He really is essentially kind of their goal line back. He's been out for undisclosed reasons, um, and he's missed the last three games. So who knows where he's at? Who knows what he's been, why he's been held out? My guess would be injuries, but you just never know. Their offensive line is pretty average to below average. It's just... I mean, it hasn't been because of many injuries. I mean, they have had some injuries, but for the most part, they're just inconsistent. I mean, it's, you know, I talk about UTSA and how they have Peak and Valley throughout the whole season. It's totally different where this offensive line has been sort of a yo-yo, and it just it causes so many problems. You can't get consistency going on offense. Their wide receivers um, might sound a little familiar if you've been following Rice, um, because let's start out with 6'2", Luke McCaffrey, Former quarterback for Nebraska, former quarterback for Rice, now turned wide receiver. His dad, Ed, was a Super Bowl winning wide receiver for the Denver Broncos. One thing that I think that Lucas picked up from his dad is, you know, both kind of tall, sort of quick runners. Um, he's a pretty good route runner. Uh, I mean, again, though, you have TJ McMahon over there trying to throw him passes. And uh, I mean, I, th- I still think McCaffrey's learning the position. Um, but I think he could be a serviceable player uh, for Rice, and he really is because he's their leading uh, pass catcher, 51 catches, 656 yards, and six touchdowns. Um, he can make plays, so one guy we got to watch out for. The other guy is Brent Rosner, who is 6'5". He's caught 35 passes for 733 yards. You see that there's a little bit more yardage there. He's a little more big play. He's caught eight touchdowns. He's a really tall, long stride runner, there's a lot of jump balls that he gets to. And because of it, that's where he kind of has his bread and butter. Um, he likes to moss some people. So <laughs> definitely two weapons, but definitely two guys that I think that this UTSA defense can neutralize one-on-one. I don't think they'll go one-on-one with them, but at the very least, I think that that is something that they could do if they need to resort to the uh, need to resort to that. Let's go on to the defense. 
it's just not many bright spots on an under-talented but hustling defense. Um, this is their 10th in red zone defense in CUSA. Um, if you get it in the red zone, you're they're going to allow the score. Whereas UTSA is number one in, UT, in uh, red zone defense where they just do not give up uh, many scores uh, in the red zone. Rice is fourth in total defense in terms of giving up 395 yards per game. And they're eighth in scoring D, giving up 35.5 points per game. <clears throat> Again, just an under-talented team that you know needs an injection of, of talent and depth. Guy you want to look out for is cornerback Gabe Taylor. I think he's going to go one-on-one. I mean, I'd say one-on-one. They probably shouldn't go one-on-one, though. But he's going to be locking up Zakari. If they go one-on-one with the, with the wide receivers, it's game over for Rice because they had problems covering UTEP's receivers, and UTEP's receivers aren't anything special. So if they really want to go one-on-one with UTSA's receivers, good luck. That said, defensive end Trey Schumann and defensive end slash linebacker Ikenna and Ikuchu, those guys are the big pass rushing threats and really some of the top defensive players that they have. I just don't think that these guys would be able to really, I think, get much against this UTSA offensive line. Um, I think that they'll have their moments, but I think they're going to be just too far and few, few and far between. Excuse me. All right, let's go to keys to victory. I think this offense needs to attack the middle of that Rice D uh, with the running game, which is a lot what they do anyway. But I think they're pretty soft at the middle. And in doing so, I think they can control the game. That said, I think they need to cha- challenge these linebackers to cover the t- our tight ends. You've talked about Dan Dishman. You've talked about, you know, a guy that had a quiet game was Oscar Cardenas. But he yep. certainly can make some catches. Uh, pretty sure we've seen him. And I think Gavin Sharp certainly can, you know, make some plays. So, you know... Plenty of guys that can make plays here for this UTSA offense. That said, on defense, I think they just bottle up the run. I don't think that we need to throw as many numbers as, you know, let's say they did against North Texas. I think this defense can, you know, should be able to defend Rice. I'm going to say easily, but I think that's the best way to put it in terms of, you know, not having to expand or throw many numbers at Rice's offense. That said, I think we need to pressure McMahon um, into turnovers because um, he is a really bad quarterback when he is pressured. Um, if he's blitzed, his quarterback ratings drop tremendously. All right, so let's get to my way too early prediction. The weather obviously is going to factor into this. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's clear, whether it's not, you know, obviously you're going to prepare probably for the wet ball drills. Um, but I just think that the tra- triangle travels. I think, you know, UTSA still has a chip on their shoulder. I still think that they want to make sure to, you know, prove something to CUSA. And again, it's another opportunity to put away a less talented team. I mean, you got to keep pressuring these guys to, you know, put some of these teams away early and not to really get rest, but really to not allow the teams to have much hope to get back in the games. You don't want to be in a bunch of one possession games. Right. And UTSA to me is too talented to be in these one possession games. So I don't see, I see that this might be a close game early, but I think UTSA just runs away with it. So give me UTSA 44-13 over Rice. All right, before we go, let's talk about what happened in Conference USA with the rest of the teams this week. Um, alluded to it already, but North Texas lost to UAB. Sort of an interesting game. North Texas was down, I think they were down 14 points. They came back. 14-0, yeah, they were down. Because I leaned over to you and told you, oh, they're down. Yeah, they came back, scored 21 points. So then it was 21-14. to 14. The next thing you know, they can't score again, and UAB's like, all right, we got this. And they end up winning 41-21. to 21. Look, UAB's hard to, to beat at, 
at their own home. You know, we talked about it, and I said, look, there's some weaker competition that they played, but you know what? They're still tough to play at home. We saw it last week when, you know, essentially we went double overtime to beat them. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't going to be an easy game, but I think that there's a lot of people that thought that, you know, UAB was just going to fold, and that team is too talented, and I feel like even Clearly though, North Texas thought they were going to fold. I don't know. Yeah, Brian Vincent, even though he's most likely not going to be the their head coach, those guys are still fighting for a chance to play a bowl game. And this is a team that, again, pretty talented. I just didn't see them just kind of going away easily. Right. North I mean, Texas, though, I think has been known to fold. <laughs> I think that's exactly what they did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with this win, UAB keeps their bowl hopes alive. And North Texas is now in a three-way tie with Western Kentucky and FAU. So it's all going to come down to that game with Rice. Uh, North Texas has a bye week next week, which is a little bit odd, but it's because they played a week zero game against uh, UTEP. We talked a little bit about Rice earlier, but um, they also fell to Western Kentucky 45-10. to Western Kentucky had their weird little mascot on their helmet, so I don't know if that just got into Rice's head and threw him off a little bit or, or what the deal was. But Rice played very poorly. As the Roost, which is you know the paper that covers Rice, said, Houston, we have a turnover problem. They had a total of six turnovers, four interceptions, two each by each of the quarterbacks that played, and two fumbles. And... You know, Rice is just not a talented enough team to overcome six turnovers. I mean, frankly, there's not a lot of teams that are talented enough to overcome six turnovers. FAU versus FIU. Um, FAU beat up on FAU, winning 52-7, to almost the exact same score as UTSA and La Tech. Um, and then again, FAU is now moved into a third-way tie for second place. Um, it would be interesting if things fell a certain way and we ended up playing FAU because they're really the only one that is in that second place contention that we haven't played this season. You know, we never beat an FAU. Everything could fall in place and FAU would come to San Antonio to play for the CUSA championship. That'd be awesome because then we could beat them and, you know, we could just walk to the AAC, just have another CUSA title and then... Exercising of... almost all of our demons? Yes. That's a great way of putting it. Um, on the basketball front, um, women's basketball left a, lost a really tough game to SFA, 63-68. to They were winning for, I think, three of the four quarters um, and just, you know, kind of fell apart a little bit in the, the fourth quarter. But if you remember last year, SFA beat us by quite a bit, so it was good to see them be competitive um, against this team this year. Yeah, I mean, I think what it really what it was is just chemistry. Where um, you know some of these new players haven't aren't used to playing with each other, and because of it, you know, you just got to develop that chemistry. Kind of like you know the offensive line that we talked about for UTSA. You know, once they kind of got together and they've been able to play together, you know, more consistently, they started succeeding. And I think that's just going to happen with UTSA's women. They'll they'll get there. Um, but it was definitely encouraging to see them go to SFA and you know really hang tough. They are back in action on Wednesday at TCU. The game is on ESPN Plus at 6.30 if you want to watch. Their first game will be the following Sunday, November 20th, against Abilene Christian at 2 p.m. in the historic combo. Um, in men's basketball, they fell to AM Corpus Christi 55-75. to The score was much, much closer until the last few minutes of the game. We really played well in the first half. It just... that. The second half, or the second part of the second half, 
we just really started to struggle. And A&M Corpus Christi was scoring over 50% at one point, or shooting over 50% at one point, where UTSA was kind of hovering in the 30s pretty much all game. And it just kind of caught up to us. Yeah, you know, I had seen this motion offense that we thought was going to be, you know, kind of moving the ball around quickly. And, you know, it was going to kind of offer more opportunities for players. But it really seemed like it just went back to the usual defense and offense of just jacking up threes and, you know, hoping that, praying that they fell through um, the hoop. And this team just, I don't know. I mean, you can lose to Texas A&M Corpus Christi once, but then going to Texas A&M Corpus Christi and getting blown out to your, you know, for the second year, you lose to them. It's tough to be able to say you're going to keep your job. Two home games this week. Um, so if you want to see the men's basketball team back in action at home Monday, they are playing at 7 p.m. against St. Mary's and Thursday at 7 p.m. against Texas State. All right, let's talk about women's soccer. They made their first tournament appearance since 2010. They played TCU in Fort Worth. Unfortunately, they lost 3-1. to one. Much closer than this score would indicate. Usually a three to zero is like a blowout in soccer. This three to one, essentially, TCU scored the two game-winning goals uh, with essentially like six minutes left in the game. And the third goal was really because we had started pressing up just to try to see if we could tie the game. But overall, TCU was definitely the, I would say, the faster team, the better ball handling team. UTSA did its best. They had a good game plan. They just kind of dropped back. The problem is that there was some weather that was going on. So you had yeah, a stiff windy. wind. Yeah. Um, and there was certain parts of the field where the wind was really causing issues for the players. And TCU really didn't take advantage, um, honestly, of some of this because it didn't seem to really bother them at times. But on the one UTSA goal, you know, I kept joking around that, like, Kendall Closa had scored from, like, almost, I think it was either almost midfield um, against North Texas and my thought was, I mean, she could probably pop it from there and even further from there uh, on the UTSA side of the field. And there's a good chance that she could put it on goal because of this wind. Well, what is what happens? We've talked about, I've talked about how much UTSA is so dangerous on set pieces. We get fouled around midfield and who comes up? Well, Kendall comes up to take the kick and she finds one of her fellow defenders, Sasha Dade. Sasha puts it away. And the game was tied for the longest time. And I think TCU really felt the pressure in the, I would say, the last quarter of the game. Mm-hmm. Much like, you know, you talked about the men's basketball. I wouldn't say that UTSA fell apart. It's just that TCU seemed to be feeling that pressure of here they are, essentially the favorite. They've shown that they are in many ways better than UTSA in a way. But UTSA wouldn't go away. UTSA just kept knocking away every single opportunity they had and you know i think they just got frustrated um they kind of started flopping they got you know the referee was very inconsistent i didn't like some of the calls he made i felt like you know there was some things where yes it's a foul but he started bringing out cards and it it just wasn't that type of game it wasn't like it was chippy chippy right it was just you know one team was a little bit better and this other team utsa namely was just hanging with TCU and you know it it just seemed like there's had to be some reason for the foul so let's just call a foul here and TCU with their flops I I just thought I mean come on like (laughs) I think 
I think an unbiased ref would have said, that's, you know, you're going to have to earn this foul. So, you know, it was just a fantastic season. I thought, you know, Mia Krasinski was just great during this game as our goalie. You know, there was a lot of shots that she got in that second half where, you know, TCU, again, could have put it away, didn't. But again, fantastic season from her. Uh, fantastic season, you know, to close out her career. Kendall Closa, you know, I, again, I thought she played really well in that in that final. Just everything to be proud of for this team. Really excited to see what they do in the future because they've got some, I think, some a lot of talented pieces coming back. All right, well, I think that about wraps it up for us. So thank you for joining the Hail Mary podcast. I'm Toves. And I'm the Toves. We'll be back next week to recap our big win over Rice. Birds up. Oh,